Welcome to the Cytokine Signaling Forum series of highlights from ACR 2021, where authors take us through their posters and presentations on cytokine signaling and JAK inhibitors. My name is Len Calabrese, and I'm the head of the Cleveland Clinic section of clinical immunology. In this podcast, we take a look at the ACR presentations that covered the basic science behind cytokine signaling of many rheumatic diseases, as well as some other clinical presentations I think that you'll find of interest. So hello, uh, this is Dr. Kato uh, from Department Rheumatology, Endocrinology and Nephrology, the Faculty of Medicine and Graduate School of Medicine, Hokkaido University. So thank you very much for uh, giving an opportunity to present our recent work entitled uh, Jack Wang regulates autophagy and reinforces the inflammatory and autoimmune potentials in rheumatoid arthritis. It's not fibroblast. <clears throat> rheumatoid arthritis is uh, pathologically characterized by autoimmunity against sterulinated proteins, proliferative synovitis, and ultimately joint dysfunction. Synovial fibroblasts are, when activated, capable of hyperproliferating and producing large amounts of pro-inflammatory mediators, including IL-6. This considered to be the key effector cells in rheumatoid arthritis pathogenesis. We previously showed that synovial fibroblasts obtained from RA patients have high autophagy activity probably contributing their active phenotype. Besides, our recent study suggests synovial fibroblasts' autoimmune potential by demonstrating the increase of sterulinated vimentin and its interaction with MSC class II when treated with interferon gamma and autophagy inducers. <laughs> JAK1 is an emerging therapeutic target in RA but its roles in the active phenotype of synovial fibroblasts remain to be elucidated. Given this background, this study aimed to clarify the role of JAK1 and the regulation of autophagy and in the inflammatory and autoimmune potentials in synovial fibroblasts. So this study was performed by following procedures. Synovial fibroblasts were derived from synovial tissue specimens obtained from RA patients during joint replacement surgery and used between passages four to eight for all experiments. To inhibit JAK1, synovial fibroblasts were treated with its selective inhibitor, upercetinib, uh, for six to 24 hours with the optimal concentrations determined by BRD assay. To induce autophagy, synovial fibroblasts were starved using serum-free medium for two hours or treated with 10 micromolar of the proteasome inhibitor MG132 for 24 hours in the presence or absence of five millimolar of the autophagy inhibitor 3-methyladenine. The expression of autophagy-related genes, including Becklin-1, HG5, and HG7, were analyzed by real-time PCR. The expression of IL-6 was measured 
in Cell Culture Supernatants by ELISA. The interaction between stridulinated Vimentin and MSC class II were analyzed by in situ proximity ligase assays. So now I would like to move on to the results. So please look at figure one. The inhibition of JAK1 with upadacitinib resulted in the significantly decreased expression of autophagy-related genes, including Becklin1, ATG5, and ATG7 in starved synovial fibroblasts. Similar results were obtained in synovial fibroblasts treated with other stimuli, such as starvation and interferon gamma, interferon gamma alone, and interferon gamma with MG132. So next, please look at figure two regarding IL-6 production of synovial fibroblasts. The treatment of synovial fibroblasts with starvation and interferon gamma increase the expression of IL-6 in cell culture supernatants, which was inhibited by upadacitinib. Similar results were obtained in synovial fibroblasts treated with other stimuli, such as interferon gamma alone and interferon gamma with MG132. I'd like to move on to figure three regarding autoimmune potential of synovial fibroblasts. So red particle represents the interaction between sterulinated pimentin and MSC class two. Sterulinated pimentin MSC class two interaction was increased in synovial fibroblasts following treatment with starvation and interferon gamma. So the effect was canceled by the addition of upadacitinib or the autophagy inhibitor, 3 methylatinine The current results indicate that JAK1 is involved not only in cytokine-mediated signaling, but also in autophagy-inducing stimulus, such as starvation. Therefore, the inhibition of JAK1 may strongly suppress the active phenotype of synovial fibroblasts through these two pathways. Other investigation is currently underway, such as the effect of JAK1 inhibition on sterulination and the interaction between uh, synovial fibroblasts and CD4 positive T cells, uh, which may confirm our results. We would like to conclude that JAK1 uh, positively regulates autophagy and reinforces the inflammatory and autoimmune potentials in synovial fibroblasts. The mode of action of JAK inhibitors uh, would include the uh, mitigation of synovial fibroblasts' active phenotype. Uh, that's all. Uh, thank you very much for your attention. Hello there, I'm Vivica Strand. I'm an adjunct clinical professor in the Division of Immunology and Rheumatology at Stanford. And I'm gonna to talk to you right now about poster 0232, the impact of ducravacitinib, which is a TIC2 inhibitor, on patient-reported outcomes and health-related quality of life, a phase two trial in patients with active psoriatic arthritis. So this was an analysis that evaluated the patient-reported outcomes which included patient global assessment of disease activity, pain, 
the Hack Disability Index, Fatigue, and Health-Related Quality of Life by the generic SF36, short form 36. And patients were randomized equally to receive either Ducravacitinib 6 milligrams or 12 milligrams versus placebo, 66 to 70 patients per treatment group, and the primary endpoint was week 16. The demographic and baseline disease characteristics were similar across the treatment groups and are presented in table one of the poster. At week 16, which is figure two, we see the mean improvements from baseline in both SF36 physical and mental component summary scores, the PCS and MCS, were significant and similar with both doses of Ducravacitinib versus placebo. We then looked at the domains, SF36 domains in figure three. And what we can see there is that the improvements with both doses were significant in six of eight domains. So the essentially physical function, role physical, bodily pain, which are the physical domains that tend to be most affected by psoriatic arthritis, but also vitality, social functioning, and role emotional. The mean changes across these domains range from seven to as much as 19.7. So they well exceeded the minimum clinically important difference of five across the domains. We then looked at the percentage of patients who reported improvements that met or exceeded MCID in these PROs, and that is shown in figures four and five. And so what we see is with both doses, we get MCID improvements that are statistically significant in patient global and HAC. And then with the 12 milligram higher dose, it includes three domains, role physical, physical function, and social functioning. Altogether, these result in numbers needed to treat of about four to 6.4, and we consider less than or equal to 10 to be economically and clinically meaningful. We then move on to figure six, the proportions of patients who report scores that meet or exceed normative values in HACC, FACET-F, SF36, PCS, and the physical domains. And these ranged from about zero to 10% to as high as 10 to 31%. Uh, so 10 to 0 to 10% at baseline, up to 10 to 31% at week 16. And this is compared to 5 to 12% with placebo. Similar improvements were seen in the mental domains and the MCS scores, although traditionally and, and clinically, we know that there are higher scores at baseline. So this illustrates that patients with active psoriatic arthritis, even who have failed conventional synthetic and or biologic DMARDs are able to report scores that are consistent with healthy individuals that don't have arthritis. And by the way, there's poster 750 that will show similar meaningful improvements in this population using the PSAFE disease-specific instrument. In conclusion, these data demonstrate that statistically significant as well as clinically meaningful improvements in patient-reported outcomes, including fatigue and health-related quality of life, were reported by patients with active psoriatic arthritis who received decravacitinib treatment for 16 weeks. Thank you. I am Anjanea Chimalakonda from Bristol-Myers Squibb, and today I will discuss the poster title, Selective Inhibition of Tyrosine Kinase 2 with Ducravacitinib compared with Janus Kinase inhibitors. First of all, I would like to thank the organizers for inviting me to present this, this talk. 
So as a background, tyrosine kinase two or TIC2 is an intracellular kinase involved in the pathogenesis of immune mediated inflammatory diseases and regulates signaling and functional responses downstream of the interleukin-12, interleukin-23, and type 1 interferon receptors. Ducravacitinib is an oral selective allosteric TIC2 inhibitor with a unique mode of binding to the less well-conserved pseudokinase domain rather than the conserved active site in the catalytic domain. This unique mode of binding provides high functional selectivity for TIC2 versus other tyrosine kinases in various cellular and whole blood assays. This unique mode of binding also may provide robust efficacy and a differentiated safety profile due to decreased toxicity relative to other kinase inhibitors. Now, in terms of clinical experience with ducravacitinib, in a one-year double-blind phase two trial, in subjects with psoriatic arthritis, jucravacitinib was efficacious and well-tolerated versus placebo. Jucravacitinib has also been shown to be efficacious in phase two and phase three trials in moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. And importantly, had a favorable safety profile without clinical or laboratory parameters suggestive of JAK123 inhibition being observed. Jucravacitinib is also being evaluated in other in the autoimmune disorders like inflammatory bowel disease, lupus, among others. Now, coming back to this poster, the main objective of this analysis was to compare the selectivity of Jucravacitinib versus approved Janus kinase 1, 2, 3 inhibitors like tofacitinib, baricitinib, or ubatacitinib at clinically relevant doses and exposures. The first step in this analysis involved development of whole blood assays that measure activity of TIC2, JAK13, and JAK2 pathways. The basic format of the assay, including the stimulant and endpoint used, is shown in the table below. Once the assays were established, half-maximal inhibition concentrations, or more, more commonly called IC50 values, of the TIC2 inhibitor jucravacitinib and JAK inhibitors like tofacitinib, upatacitinib, and baricitinib were determined using these whole blood assays. Since these assays were conducted in whole blood, no further correction of these IC50 values using parameters like plasma protein binding, for example, were considered. This schematic provides an overview of the subsequent steps in this analysis. First, pharmacokinetic profiles or plasma concentration time profiles of jucravacitinib, tofacitinib, upatacitinib, and baricitinib were simulated using parameters derived from published population PK models or from internal reports, for example, for jucravacitinib. The doses selected for these agents include both the doses that are approved for some of the JAK inhibitors and also ones that, are, that were evaluated in phase two or three trials. The PK profiles were subsequently integrated to compare the plasma drug concentration in relation to this whole blood potency values in, with, in, the, in the three assays that we, that we showed before. Furthermore, 
we distilled all of this information and, ca and calculated the average inhibition of these JAK or TIC2 pathways at various doses for this used in this analysis. Now, let's look at the key results in this slide. The first is this table provides the in vitro whole blood potency values for the various inhibitors used in this, uh, used in this analysis. First, focusing on jucravacitinib on, on the right-hand side, the TIC2 IC50 for jucravacitinib is around 42 nanomolar, indicating potent inhibition of this pathway. And this is as expected based on the mechanism of action. Importantly, the TIC2 IC50 at 42 nanomolar is considerably lower than the JAK13 IC50 shown here, which is around 1600, 1646 nanomolar. Importantly, the JAK2 IC50 for it was greater than 10 micromolar, indicating no inhibition of this pathway, even at this micromolar doses. This indicates at first glance that there is greater selectivity for TIC2 compared with JAK13 or JAK2 assays, just based on these whole blood values for jucravacetanib. Now let's focus on the other inhibitors that were evaluated in this analysis. These uh, include tofocetanib, vatacetanib, and baricetanib. And as shown in the table below and highlighted in the red box, these inhibitors demonstrated potent inhibition of the JAK13 pathway with IC50 values ranging from eight to 17 nanomolar. They have some degree of, of JAK2 inhibition as the IC50 values ranged from 30 to, 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 to around 200 nanomolar. In these whole blood assays, these agents did not meaningfully inhibit TIC2 as the IC50s ranged from two to five micromolar range. And when we compared the inhibitory potencies or IC50 values in these, these values were comparable to ranges of values reported in, in literature reports. One of them is shown in the, in the slide here. As we all recognize, these whole blood IC50s values by themselves provide limited overview of the selectivity of these molecules. To enable a more holistic comparison, we need, we need to integrate these whole blood potency values with plasma concentrations of these agents that are typically achieved at therapeutic doses. This info, wherein we integrated the whole blood potency values with pharmacokinetic profiles to enable a holistic comparison is shown in the next few slides. The first plot in this graph is for jucravacetanib. So what this figure provides is the plasma concentration time profile, which is on the x-axis you have time, on the y-axis you have plasma concentrations in nanomolar. So you have the plasma concentration time profile of jucravacetanib at two dose levels, six milligram once daily and 12 milligram once daily shown in the blue and in the light gray curves there. These doses were selected as these were evaluated in the phase two study in psoriatic arthritis that I just mentioned before. And also the six milligram QD dose is being evaluated in multiple phase three trials in psoriasis. So on the same graph, in addition to the plasma concentration time profiles, you have three horizontal dotted lines. 
these are whole blood IC50 values or potency values in the various assays. So in, in the pink dotted line here, you have the TIC2 IC50 for jucravacitinib. In the dark gray dotted line, you have the JAK13 IC50. And in the light gray dotted line, you have the JAK2 IC50. It is very clear from this figure that the jucravacitinib plasma concentration at both the six and 12 milligram uh, doses are above or close to the TIC2 potency value or TIC2 IC50 in this case, in the, at least for a period of time. This indicates potent inhibition of this pathway as we expect from based on its mechanism of action. Importantly, the plasma concentrations of jucravacitinib are way below its JAK13 or JAK2 potency values. For example, if we look at the peak plasma concentration of jucravacitinib, even at the 12 milligram doses, so the peak plasma concentration and the 12 milligram dose is eightfold lower than its JAK13 IC50 and more than 48-fold lower relative to its JAK2 JAK IC50. This indicates that that jucravacitinib plasma concentrations at these therapeutic doses are not adequate to elicit any meaningful inhibition of JAK123 pathways. Now, we did a similar or we plotted similar graphs for, for the other agents that we included in this analysis. This figure at the bottom plots the plasma concentration time profiles of upatacitinib at two dose levels, 15 milligram once daily and 30 milligram once daily in relation to its potency, similar plots as what we did for jucravacitinib above. The 15 milligram dose is the approved dose in, in rheumatoid arthritis and the 30 milligram dose is evaluated across multiple indications. It can be noted here that the upatacitinib plasma concentrations are above or close to its JAK13 or JAK2 potency values indicating inhibition of these pathways. However, peak plasma concentrations of upatacitinib, even at the higher dose of 30 milligram, is still way below its TIC2 potency value. The value here, if you look at the numbers, it's around 33-fold lower than its TIC2 potency values, indicating that upatacitinib concentrations at these dose levels are not adequate to elicit any meaningful TIC2 inhibition. Now let's look at the same plots, but for the other two agents, baricitinib and tofacitinib. And similar plots are shown here. And if you look at all these plots in details, the key results are relatively comparable across these three agents, upatacitinib, tofacitinib, and baricitinib. And this indicates that plasma concentration of these three agents are above or close to their JAK13 or JAK2 potency values indicating inhibition of these pathways, whereas plasma concentrations of all the three agents are way below its TIC2 potency value, indicating no meaningful TIC2 inhibition by these agents at these uh, doses and plasma concentrations. As discussed before, we further integrated these PK values and whole blood to calculate daily average inhibition of each pathway for these agents. So let's look at this, this, the distillation of all of this into the daily inhibition value. So this graph demonstrates the daily inhibition of JAK13, JAK2, or TIC2 activity for jucravacitinib 
at the 6 and 12 milligram once daily doses. The average daily inhibition of JAK1-3 activity is shown in a dark gray bar for JAK2 activity is shown in the light gray bar and TIC2 activity is shown in the blue bar. It's apparent from this figure that at clinically relevant doses, Jucravacitinib inhibited TIC2 activity by more than 50% over a 24-hour period at these two doses. The average is, as expected, consistent with this mechanism of action. Importantly, Jucravacitinib exerted minimal effects, less than 1% uh, of JAK13 or JAK2 activity. This indicates that Jucravacitinib is a selective TIC2 inhibitor and does not modulate the JAK13 or JAK2 pathways. Let's look at similar plot, but for the other agents included in this analysis. If you look at this plot, if you look at tofacitinib, upatacitinib, or baricitinib, all these three agents exhibited varying degrees of inhibition against JAK13. For example, the daily average inhibition ranged from 60 to 94%, and JAK2, which ranged from 23 to 67%. Importantly, there was no meaningful inhibition against TIC2 because the numbers were less than 2% for these agents. So summarizing this, this poster and this analysis, this confirms that jucravacitinib is a highly selective allosteric TIC2 inhibitor with minimal or no activity against JAK13 or JAK2 pathways. Selective TIC2 inhibition is consistent with the reduced potential for treatment-related toxicities like laboratory parameter abnormalities among patients treated with jucravacitinib. Some things, some of these lab parameter changes are effects that are generally associated with, with JAK123 inhibitors. Conversely, the JAK123 inhibitors included in this analysis, like tofacitinib, baricitinib, and ubatacitinib, did not exhibit TIC2 inhibition. Hence, the undesirable adverse effects associated with these agents as noted above, are unlikely to be related to TIC2 inhibition. These results suggest that jucravacitinib is a distinct therapeutic class compared with inhibitors of the closely related intracellular signaling kinases like JAK1, 2, and 3. With that, I would like to thank again the, uh, the organizers for inviting me to give this talk on behalf of the authoring team. Thank you. I'm Laure Gossec, a rheumatologist from Paris, France. It's a pleasure to present to you the effect of ducravacitinib on psoriatic arthritis in terms of patient-reported outcomes, analyzing results from a phase two study. Now, ducravacitinib is a novel type of drug. It's an oral selective TIC2 inhibitor, which has a different mechanism of action from JAK inhibitors. And in last year's Congress, we showed the results of ACR20 response at week 16 for both doses of docrovacitinib, either 6 milligram or 12 milligram once daily versus placebo. And we found ACR20 responses around 53 to 63% versus 32% for placebo. In the present analysis, we are assessing the effect of ducrovacitinib versus placebo 
on quality of life specific to psoriatic arthritis, which is assessed using the PSAID 12 and PSAID 9 uh, impact of disease scores. Patients are described in table one of the poster, and there are around 70 patients in each of the three treatment groups, placebo and both doses of docrevacitinib. Disease duration is around five years. Swollen joint count is around 10 to 11, and patients had quite high impact on their quality of life due to their disease. Since we can see that um, the PSAID score was around six at baseline, and this is a zero to 10 score where zero is perfect status. The main result of this trial in terms of quality of life is that there were improvements in PSAID 12 and PSAID 9 total scores at week 16, with improvements around 2 to 2.3 points in the tucrasvacitinib doses versus improvements of 1 point in the placebo um, dose, indicating that tucrasvacitinib clearly improves impact of disease in these patients at week 16. Results were very similar for the PSAID 9 and PSAID 12 scores, whereas um, PSAID 12 actually includes more aspects of quality of life than PSAID 9. When we looked at links between improvement in PSAID scores and achieving response for other patient reported outcomes, we found that patients who um, improved in terms of PSAID 12 total scores were also those who were improved in terms of fatigue, use, fatigue using the facet or in terms of quality of life using SF36. And correlations between improvements in PSAID and other uh, impact scores were uh, quite high with correlations around 0.6 to 0.8. Therefore, in conclusion, this work showed that docrevacetinib improves impact of disease at both doses more than placebo at week 16, and that patients who improved in terms of PSAID scores also improved around three points on a zero to 10 score for multiple other patient reported outcomes. Have a lovely Congress. Hello, my name is Walter Maximovich and I'm professor of medicine at the University of Alberta and chief medical officer of care arthritis. And it's my great pleasure to present this work entitled Philgodonib Treatment Results in Reduction of Inflammatory Biomarkers Associated with Disease in Patients with Ankylosing Spondylitis. This work is based on the Tortuga study, and Tortuga was a 12-week randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled phase two study in patients with moderately to severely active uh, ankylosing spondylitis and who had an inadequate response or intolerance to two or more non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And patients were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to receive either filgodonib, 200 milligrams daily, or placebo once daily for 12 weeks. And there were 58 patients in each treatment group. And 
As you can see from the diagram, biosamples were taken at baseline week one, week four, and at week 12. And this slide illustrates the biomarker changes following treatment with filgotinib. And what you can see is that there are five clusters of biomarker response. The clusters being identified based on the kinetics and magnitude of change from baseline with filgotinib treatment. So for example, the cluster one would be those biomarkers with quite a rapid and strong decrease in the level of the biomarker with a percentage uh, decrease of at least 40% from baseline. And an example of that biomarker would be C1M which is a metalloproteinase degradation fragment of type 1 collagen. And you can see a very rapid uh, decrease that's already evident at week one uh, from baseline. A second cluster uh, would be those biomarkers demonstrating a decrease that is more moderate with a percentage change of 12 to 40%. And cluster three would be those biomarkers with a decrease that is less than 12%. Um, C3M, which is a neoepitope formed by metalloproteinase 9 mediated degradation of type 3 collagen is one such example. Uh, there is a decrease. It's not quite as pronounced as with C1M. And C6M is another biomarker of tissue turnover. Again, there is a decrease, but not quite as pronounced as the decrease that we observe with C1M. And then there are biomarkers that demonstrate a delayed decrease after the institution of treatment. And that example would be metalloproteinase 1. We also have examples in cluster 5 of biomarkers that demonstrate a gradual increase uh, after the institution of treatment. For several biomarkers, a decrease was demonstrated towards the healthy volunteer range following treatment with filgotinib. And on this slide, we see a decrease in levels of ICAM-1 and VCAM-1 that's approaching levels that we would expect to see in healthy volunteers. The decrease in seroid, serum amyloid A protein and tumor necrosis factor does not quite attain levels that we see in healthy volunteers. <clears throat> On this slide, we now see the correlation of the change in biomarkers between baseline and week 12 and change in clinical characteristics in particular measures of inflammation. And these include the ASDAS, the C-reactive protein, 
the spinal pain, the bounce die, and the spine spot MRI inflammation scores. And these are all changed from baseline to week 12. And we see that the correlations are quite pronounced between the change in the biomarker and the change in the ASDAS and the change in the CRP. There are fewer correlations noted for change in the BASDI and change in spine spark MRI inflammation scores. And to summarize the changes that we see following the institution of filgotinib treatment, we first of all see changes in markers of inflammation, uh, decreased levels of C-reactive protein and several other biomarkers that are uh, very well known to be associated with inflammation. Of particular interest, there was no significant impact on biomarkers such as interleukin-17, 21, 22, and the P19 subunit of IL-23. So these are biomarkers that we would typically see in the IL-17, 23 axis of inflammation. We see reduction in biomarkers of angiogenesis as indicated by vasoactive endothelial growth factor. And finally, we see a reduction in biomarkers indicative of matrix remodeling, particularly metalloproteinase 1 and the collagen degradation fragments of type 1, 3, and 6 collagen uh, following metalloproteinase degradation. And these are all reduced after filgotinib treatment. So in summary, we do see significant changes in certain biomarkers, typified by decrease in interleukin-6, and several matrix remodeling biomarkers. But interestingly, no change in the IL-17 pathway cytokines. We also see reductions in several biomarkers to levels comparable to those observed in healthy vo volunteers, but not for all biomarkers. We see known associations of several inflammatory biomarkers with C-reactive protein. And this is particularly noted for the matrix remodeling biomarkers, C1M, and the metalloproteinase biomarker, MMP1. We see that filgotinib decreases a wide range of biomarkers implicated in the pathogenesis of ankylosing spondylitis, including those involved in inflammation, tissue remodeling, angiogenesis, and cellular trafficking. Thank you so much for your attention. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of our ACR Highlight Series. I hope you enjoyed these presentations. And don't forget to subscribe to CSF Podcasts on Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss out on our Congress content or any of our other usual monthly content. You can also visit the CSF webpages 
at cytokinesignaling.com where you can access a whole range of resources from the monthly slide summaries of latest papers to accredited CME courses and even more content in between. Thanks for listening. Thank you.